This podcast is presented by Solving Kids Cancer, dedicated to improving survival through novel clinical studies. To learn more about funding opportunities, visit our website at solvingkidscancer.org and click Apply for Grant. This Week in Pediatric Oncology, the podcast about new advances for childhood cancer. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode number 20, recorded on November 7, 2011. I'm your host, Tim Kripe, along with my co-host, Lionel Chow. Welcome, Lionel. Hi, Tim. Good to be here. Uh, Lionel and I are from Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center. Today on TWIPO, we have a Cracker Jack lineup. I promise you, the listener, if you listen to this, you stick with us. If you don't have your blood boiling by the end of this episode, then you haven't been paying attention. We have a great lineup today. Uh, We're excited to talk about funding for pediatric cancer research. We call it the F word. And I have a lineup of guests to help us uh, with all the issues at hand. The first guest is Dr. C. Patrick Reynolds. Welcome, Pat. Thanks, Tim. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, so Pat is the director of the Cancer Center at Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center and also a professor of cell biology and biochemistry in the departments of internal medicine and pediatrics, or I guess all those four different departments in the School of Medicine. Uh, So quite an important person and someone who's made a lot of seminal contributions to pediatric cancer and has a particular interest in uh, issues regarding cancer funding, as of course we all do. Uh, And our next guest is Dr. E. Anders Kolb, better known as Andy. Welcome, Andy. Thanks, Tim. It's great to be on again. Yeah, Andy was with us a previous episode. That was episode number seven when we, when I was had the pleasure of visiting his institution in Wilmington, Delaware, uh, and we talked about his research there. And today he's joining us because this uh, episode actually was his idea to talk about this. He's currently the director of the Blood and Bone Marrow Transplantation Program at Nemours Children's Hospital there in Wilmington, and he's head of the Cancer Therapeutics Laboratory at their Center for Childhood Cancer Research. So thanks for being with us today. And Andy, you've brought along a special guest as well. Can you tell us, introduce Joe to us? Yeah, I brought, uh, I brought with me uh, Joe McDonough. Uh, Joe is a, is a father of uh, Andrew McDonough. I think that's the title that, that he's uh, proud of. Uh, Andrew was, was diagnosed with leukemia uh, in 2007 and uh, unfortunately uh, died of complications from his leukemia in July of uh, 2007. And since then, Joe has uh, dedicated his, uh, his life to, to raising money to help families that are uh, uh, dealing with, uh, with a pediatric cancer diagnosis and to um, raise money and raise awareness for, for pediatric cancer research. So it's, a, it's, it's my pleasure to, 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 to participate in this call with Joe. Thank you all very much. I appreciate you having me on here and addressing such a critically important issue. Great. Thanks for being here, Joe. We appreciate all your work. The uh, topic for today, really, as I mentioned, is funding for pediatric cancer research. Uh, Most people are well familiar with the fact that we've had a lot of successes in leukemia over the last few decades, Uh, and I think our experience with leukemia and studying leukemia proves to us all that research cures cancer and is vital to our future in terms of improving uh, childhood cancer, making advances for childhood cancer. But many of the diseases that we treat, as, as everyone on this podcast knows quite well, really have a long way to go. They, 
Very few other cancers have matched uh, the successes in leukemia. Perhaps Wilms tumor and uh, Hodgkin's disease may be two examples, although uh, they were not as deadly to start with as leukemia was. But nevertheless, most of the other cancers we treat, uh, particularly things like AML, so myeloid leukemia, or uh, recurrent or metastatic sarcomas, or high-risk neuroblastoma, uh, many kinds of brain tumors, these are all diseases that uh, still need much, much research to better understand them and to better treat them. And of course, research costs money. And I think right now, what, one theme our listeners will hear today is that there are two current problems with, with pediatric cancer research. First of all, the money allocated to pediatrics and pediatric cancer in general is disproportionately low compared to money allocated to adult diseases. And funding for research in general is taking a big hit with our current economics and our current government. That's compounding our pediatric oncology problem. And I think one of the persons who's thought most about this is Dr. Reynolds, so I'm going to turn the floor over to him to give us some of the numbers and facts. Oh, well, thanks, Tim. I certainly don't think I'm the person that's thought the most about this. I think a lot of people have thought about it. Uh, I appreciate the chance to, to bring a few of my thoughts forward, though. My concern is that uh, we have within our grasp an amazing amount of biology understanding of childhood cancer uh, and adult cancers as well, but that we're really not going to be able to realize turning that understanding into new therapies uh, if we continue down the road we're going, which is to restrain resources for the research. But even scarier is the thought that as we have this panel of uh, congressional leaders that are going to be cutting the budget, and, and I don't think uh, there's too many of us that uh, would uh, think that they don't need to get the cost containment in place that they're planning. But as they do that, uh, if they cut across the board and they cut childhood cancer research uh, from the federal level, I think we're going to lose amazing amounts of ground, and that's what I'm hoping we can do is to be vocal about, at, at the at worst-case scenario, maintaining where we're at, and the best-case scenario, actually gaining some ground with this. So can you give us some of the numbers about uh, childhood cancer funding right now, where we're, where we're at, how much is being spent, uh, COG or others? The funding that, that uh, is available from the, the National Cancer Institute is probably the largest uh, dollars that are spent on childhood cancer, and the NCI claims that it spends 4% of its 5.1 billion dollar budget on childhood cancer. Uh, I'm not actually certain uh, that this uh, 0.204 billion or 204 million dollars that they uh, they are spending. Uh, or say they're spending is actually all directly to childhood cancer because it's not clear how they they arrive at that figure. But if you look at uh, something that I think is a little bit more concrete is the federal budget for the Children's Oncology Group. That is $46 million, uh, which is a, a substantially lower dollar amount than, uh, than the entire cancer operation or the adult cooperative groups. Uh, which one can argue is appropriate given the numbers of children with cancer. Uh, and those of us that are pediatricians could argue that uh, it's not appropriate given the uh, proportion of childhood cancer deaths or, or childhood deaths in general that come from cancer. Uh, but be that as it may, we're looking at uh, the, the total federal outlay of this to be substantially lower than multiple other federal pro programs that uh, one can ask, uh, can't they give a little bit? Uh, we have a $531 billion DOD budget that really is $700 billion because of the wars, $8.1 billion for TSA, uh, 
you know, foreign aid uh, is there. There's not any foreign aid that's not larger than what we spend on childhood cancer, and some of it is as high as uh, more, almost 16 times for one country what we spend on childhood cancer in this country. So the question I'm raising is, uh, as they are looking at the budget now, and sacred cows seem to be on the butcher block. Uh, can't some uh, uh, some trimming of some of the fat be slipped over to the children? It seems like it would be a no-brainer. Can can you give us a few examples? I know I've seen in some of your slides before what kinds of aids you're talking about uh, in terms of dollar amounts. Well, I, I mean, let's let's take the two largest. You're talking about foreign aid. I think if we look at those, uh, and and it's not that I'm not I'm against aiding our our fellow uh, allies uh, out in other countries. But uh, I think when we can't aid our own children, we have to really ask, can we afford $3.2 billion to Israel every year or $1.6 billion to Egypt, which are the two largest uh, foreign aid uh, distribution sets out of the total of $22 billion in foreign aid, which I don't think really takes into account the amount of bonds we're buying from the Greeks currently. Uh, and if you think about how much, there's probably more money going from the United States of America into funding the Greeks who don't seem to be able to get their economic situation together than is being spent on childhood cancer. And I think the other, uh, you know, looking at your slides once again, the other um, uh, numbers that, it's, uh, that really puts this into perspective is your numbers about private donations from just the American people who donate to St. Jude and how that compares with NCI spending. Can you give us some of those numbers, Lionel? Pat just pointed out the NTI spending is about $204 million per year, and St. Jude uh, receives uh, over $650 million a year in annual donations, which is all spent on childhood cancer. So uh, the amount of money that the American people are donating on top of their taxes is greater than what ta is coming from tax dollars. I mean, I find that just uh, uh, incredible. Just by way of uh, full disclosure, Lionel, came to Cincinnati from St. Jude, so you were certainly a beneficiary of some of those dollars. I was, but, absolutely. But now you're at a center where you're not a beneficiary of those dollars. That's right. Um, so uh, that I guess that compounds your interest in having more money donated to other centers. Yeah, I just think that there should, there should be, um, and I think this is a theme of uh, our discussion today, there should be a little bit more uh, an, of an equitable uh, distribution of, of these dollars. Yeah. And, and Lionel, I think it's important to point out on, uh, in, in discussing that the amount of money that is invested in advertising to pull in those dollars. You know, most institutions don't have the machinery in place to match that. So they are dependent on, on the federal government and they are dependent on, on private foundations like, uh, like what Joe McDonough does to, to bring in, uh, the research dollars that are, uh, institutions are, are not short on great ideas to help uh, fight the battle against childhood cancer, but we are short on, on the dollars to, uh, to support that battle. I guess one could argue, well, there are other private foundations, right? I'm looking at Pat's slides, and there's one about the American Cancer Society, but that's also quite instructive. Total revenue, $897 million. Fundraising costs, $222 million, so not all that 897 is going to actual research. Management another sixty two million. These are large numbers, but childhood cancer research six point two million. So less than one percent of their total revenue. That's pretty pretty striking. Well, if I can jump in here, you know, as a as a dad who watched his fourteen year old son die 
in his 16-year-old sister's arms. It just, to borrow an expression you said earlier, Tim, it makes my blood boil. And I talk to groups around the country, and I say to parents, if God forbid you or your child had to have cancer, where would you put that? And invariably, if they had that option, they would put it in themselves, not in their children. How can we sit by, and even if giving benefit of the doubt, saying that NCI funding is 4%, and leukemia and lymphoma less than 2%, American Cancer Society less, one, less than 1%, it, it's just... It's inexcusable. We must give a voice to the voiceless. I've heard so many times that, well, not many kids get childhood cancer. It's a rare disease. My, my friend Bob Panuski, who also lost his son to leukemia, showed me a, a, an analysis based on life years lost. And when you compare life years lost, you really see the dramatic injustice that is happening in the funding arena. Because, you know, we're here talking about it's not coming from the government. It's not coming from the large uh, nonprofits. And, and I'm also very disappointed to say we are not seeing any kind of significant support beyond Hyundai and a few others in the, in the corporate sector either. We have not gotten to the point where childhood cancer has the political correctness of uh, some other bad cancers out there. The PAC-2 organization, other private Foundation uh, People Against Cancer put a analysis on their website not too long ago about what you just said, uh, the years of life, uh, potentially years of life saved by treating childhood cancer versus other major cancers like prostate cancer, colon cancer, lung cancer, and the amount of dollars spent. We'll try to put a link in our show notes to that figure, but it is pretty dramatic how there's a lot more dollars spent per years of life saved in those other diseases and that childhood cancer falls way behind that. And, and just to, to be fair, we're, we're certainly not advocating for uh, that research dollars be taken from one place and, and put to another. There are many terrible diseases out there. I think what we are all advocating for is a more equitable distribution of those dollars. And, and to refocus everybody's attention, not just on our successes, and certainly as, as you started out the show, Tim, the, the successes in leukemia and Hodgkin's disease and Wilms tumor are remarkable and, and, a, and a true testament to, to uh, focused research, cooperative group trials, and, and asking smart questions, smart research questions. But in, in many tumors, uh, Pat, Pat's an expert in neuroblastoma, in, in solid tumors, in um, uh, some of the lymphomas, some of the more aggressive lymphomas, we're using the same drugs that we used um, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, and, and we're have the same success that we had 30, 40 years ago. So we have not made uh, substantial progress in many diseases, and and um, we're we're all grateful for the for the paradigm that has allowed us to have success in leukemias and, and other uh, some of the other cancers. But but we need to um, we need more money, we need more effort, and we need uh, uh, better ideas in in uh, the other. Uh, other cancers out there where we haven't shared that same success. Well, Annie, since you mentioned neuroblastoma, I would actually take the opposite viewpoint that uh, that's a good example of how the government can fund something and get it done. Uh, I mean, we have a, I agree with everyone that we have a long way to go in high-risk neuroblastoma, but we have come a long way as well. And, you know, we've made some remarkable improvements with myeloblative therapy followed by 13-cis retinoic acid, but most recently, 
the really worldwide standard of care is to give uh, myeloblative therapy, 13 cisronic acid, and chimeric 14-18 antibody with uh, uh, cytokines. And that antibody was never going to be developed in the private sector. It was developed because the National Cancer Institute was able to put the resources behind making that antibody available to cooperative group and the resources of the cooperative group to carry out the trial. But I'm concerned with the constraints of funding that, that if this was started over again today, it would never have happened. So a 20% improvement in outcome for one of the deadliest childhood cancers wouldn't occur because there simply is not the resources at the federal level being devoted to the problem. And yeah, Pat, to, to uh, underscore that point, there are uh, other antibodies, and I, I won't throw any companies under the bus, but there are other antibodies out there that have been developed that have activity in, in different malignancies. Uh, and, yeah, they're killed. They're killed in the pipeline if they have activity in a pediatric cancer but not in an adult cancer. And the, um, uh, the, you know, the chimeric antibody is success in neuroblastoma, is, 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 as you said, is a great testament to what uh, the government can do when it puts its, its mind to it. But uh, and leaving it up to the drug companies in pediatrics, it's just not going to happen. There, there is no market for uh, a drug that cures neuroblastoma. There is no market for a drug that, that is beneficial to patients with, with high-risk sarcomas or, or, or AML. Um, and, uh, and the companies just, they're not able to invest in it. It's not, uh, it, you know, the market forces will not allow them to put a lot of effort into curing childhood cancer. And I think rightly so. I mean, the business community is in business to do business, and they cannot answer their stockholders by doing philanthropy. But that's where the government uh, can step in, along with philanthropy, which is unfortunately difficult to achieve these days. But I think the government has got to take a, a larger hand in this than they have been. Uh, and I would suggest that the, that the concrete place to go, and we could look at all the federal budget numbers and give our suggestion, but will, of course, be up against a million congressmen protecting their individual interests. I think the bottom line is, is that it remains to me a, a perplexing uh, matter and I think an embarrassment for the Congress of the United States that they passed the Congress Childhood Cancer Act years ago and yet they have not funded it. Can you tell us more details about that? When, when uh, Deborah Price was uh, Know, uh, retired from Congress, she managed to get this passed as a Republican from uh, a Republican congressman from from Ohio, and uh, this was supposed to devote thirty-five million dollars to to childhood cancer research. And the act was passed by both uh, Congress and the Senate, and signed by the president. But yet, it was not funded. So uh, th this is very much like saying, "Gee whiz, we've got a cure for you. We'd like to give it to you, but uh, shake the hand, smile, and say, but you know what, we're not giving it to you, and send the patient out the door without the drug. Uh, I really see no justifiable reason whatsoever to pass an act for your children in the country and then not fund it. There's simply no excuse for this, and it's not a matter of taking the money from another cancer. It's a matter of Congress adding up to the to the bar and saying, okay, here's the money for kids that we promised you. So that, that's one of the things I don't like about politics. What you're telling us is passing an act isn't funding an act. So what's the point of passing it? It's, it's, all, it's all in the optics, obviously, uh, as far as politicians are con concerned. But uh, uh, I think another point that needs to be brought up is that, you know, uh, we've discussed a lot about uh, pediatric uh, research benefiting uh, pediatric patients. 
but the, the history of pediatric research, uh, I'm talking about research in pediatric cancers, also tells us that we learn a lot about uh, adult cancers from uh, the research that is done on, on diseases like retinoblastoma, which obviously led to the discovery of the retinoblastoma gene that plays a role in adult cancers. We can also men mention something more recently, such as ALK, uh, tyrosine protein kinase, which was uh, discovered originally in pediatric patients with uh, anaplastic large cell lymphomas, and now has been shown to play a role in non-small cell uh, lung cancer as well. So there's a bit of short-sightedness on the part of uh, funding agencies to close the door to pediatric research when, you're, when, when they sort of say that it has, has little impact, when we know from history that it does potentially uh, have large impact for more than just pediatric patients. I think that's a great point. You know, Krizotnib, which is the poster child of recent new drug approvals uh, and an amazing story in, in that small subset of non-small cell lung cancers that uh, have the activating translocation what was enabled by a discovery by a pediatric oncologist, Tom Look, when he cloned that gene. That's right. And we might not see any of this that we're seeing right now in terms of a, the new drug going to a lot of patients had it not been for a pediatric oncologist uh, at that time, I believe, at St. Jude's, being able to do that work. And he was able to do the work because he had the funding to do it. Without the funding, he couldn't have done the work. Well, I think we're all in very much agreement here that, that there's a big need. So what can we do about it? Well, can I ask you a question? I'm, I'm I'm just a dad here, and you guys are oncologists, and maybe you can share some perspective here. What I don't understand, and I and I, it is right to challenge Congress about not funding the Concord Childhood Cancer Act. But how is it that the leadership of NCI can testify before Congress and basically, in so many words, say, "No, we're good. We have enough funding for childhood cancer." I, I just I, I have a hard time grasping how someone in a leadership role at NCI could sit there before Congress and say that. Can you tell us specifically what you're referring to? Well, you know, there is a, well, let, let me just step back, because um, I had an opportunity to uh, attend the State of the Union this year, and I was speaking with some very senior congressional leaders, and the message, of course, I was going in guns blazing, asking, you know, why isn't there greater funding? And one of the messages that comes back fairly consistently, and from those also within the, the childhood cancer community that I'm a part of, is that either when, you, when they've had meetings with NCI leadership or there has been testimony, there is kind of a, you know, an attempt to say, okay, well, we can do more, but we're doing a pretty good job right now. And that has been, in those words, has been said in testimony before Congress. And I just, I don't understand how with the amount of children dying, and one of the things that we haven't talked about, which I think you, you all certainly know, but the general population doesn't, isn't aware, is that when someone's a childhood cancer survivor, there's just tremendous side effects down the road. I mean, I, I have you know, seen research from both St. Jude and Sloan Kettering that 73% of, quote, survivors will have chronic side effects and 42% will have life-threatening side effects. Congress is part of the problem. But honestly, if I'm a freshman congressman and I call over to NCI and they tell me, Joe, we're in pretty good shape, I'm not going to pick this battle. I'm going to move on to one of the 90 other battles I have. So, you know, we, we can, I think we can yell about Congress. You know, there can be childhood cancer organizations that go knocking on the doors and, you know, every year. But we also have to, I think, look at, to some degree, the root of the problem in that we have a, a, a unit of our government that is charged with leading in these discoveries. And, and I'm not saying 
that everything is at NCI is bad, and, and there's some there's so many dedicated people over there. But I don't think the leadership seems to get it when it comes to research funding levels for childhood cancer. I, do you think it's because they think, as I mentioned at the beginning, that we've done well with leukemia, and so childhood cancer patients are largely already taken care of? I think it's part of it. I, I've heard the statistic of the improvement in leukemia survival rate so many times, and it's the quick thing to kind of get out of the answer, to, to get out of the, the tough question. But as you all know, there hasn't been progress in other areas. The side effects are tremendous. I don't, you know, I don't know whether it's a path of least resistance for them, or it gets back to my point. I, I spoke to a group of kids one day. Uh, I speak to a group of kids a lot of times, but this one group of kids, fifth graders, said to me, "Why is it that less than four percent of funding goes to us?" And I said to them, "Who did you vote for in the last election?" And of course, the teachers got it quickly and. You know, these kids don't have a voice, and it hasn't become a politically charged enough issue in the general population. I think, um, uh, you know, that comment that you just made speaks to the fact that, and I think we brought this up earlier in the conversation, that our patients do not have a voice to the leadership, uh, to government and to uh, the leadership at NCI, and I think it behooves us as, uh, I mean, one of the things that we always talk about as pediatricians is that we need to be advocates for our patients, and perhaps it behooves us as uh, pediatricians, as uh, pediatric oncologists, as pediatric researchers to uh, uh, increase our efforts uh, to, to, to be that voice for our patients. I guess if you think about it, each patient has uh, one-plus advocates built in, some, some two, some yes. count grandparents, perhaps four. Uh, yet, when they're going through the treatment, they're concerned about the treatment, not about new research. Uh, Joe, you can correct me if I'm wrong here on any of this. And when they're done with treatment, if they're a survivor, they're, you know, they're happy. They're happy, and things worked out, uh, albeit there are side effects. Um, and if they're, they're not one of the survivors, maybe they're energized to do something about it, like Joe is, and maybe the rest are wanting to just forget about it and put it behind. I don't know. What do you think, Joe? Absolutely. There's, and, and I don't fault them, but, but my, my fellow parents and families in this battle, oftentimes, if they come through and the, the outcome is not what they were hoping and praying for, they never want to talk about this again, and I respect that. And then some of those folks, as you say, who the outcome is very positive, they don't want to look in the rearview mirror and just go. But there are a lot of very dedicated families out there that really are, are trying to make noise about this. Obviously, it's not going to bring, no matter how successful we are, it's not going to bring my boy back. And, you know, that, that, that hurts. But, you know, we have, to, we have to make more noise. And for whatever reason, and, and I will admire and, and, and applaud other organizations, and, and I think Andy said, you know, this isn't a contest. All cancers are bad. My mother had breast cancer, and she died six weeks ago. But you know what? She was she was the first one that was said, if there's $1 to be spent, I want it to be spent on my grandson's leukemia, not on me. And, you know, we have to get to the point where people realize the prevalence of childhood cancers, the tremendous lack of funding, and it gets to the point where it becomes the de rigueur kind of thing that, you know, everybody's talking about it. I mean... 
you know, I, I, do, I don't recall, and maybe you guys saw it, but back in September when it was National Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, did, do you remember seeing uh, the NFL with the gold whistles and the gold gloves on the players and the gold ribbons on the field? Right. Uh, if you did, I didn't see that. Right. Uh, we certainly saw a lot of pink the next month. That's correct. Yeah. You know what? And, and, that's, and like I said, this isn't a breast cancer versus childhood cancer issue. All cancers are bad. But how is it that we can, in my opinion, turn our back? I mean, as a civilization, as a society, I think one of the ways we are judged is on how we treat our children. And quite honestly, and I'd be saying this whether my son was sitting here with me or not, we aren't, we aren't treating them well. And, and I can only imagine also, you know, the, the sheer frustration that so many dedicated pediatric oncologists like you folks must feel. Well, we're, we're worried we're not going to be able to continue our research the ra at the rate it's going, that if we aren't able to secure, you know, continuous grant funding at reasonable levels, we're going to lose not only other junior investigators, but senior people as well. And, you know, Tim, that, that's, a, that's a great point, not just about the, not just about the research, uh, the, the research dollars going towards supplies and, and, uh, uh, and the projects, but, but going towards the training of new faculty and, and um, you know, Joe, Joe had spoke to uh, um, uh, some of the NCI's position on this, and I and I'd read uh, Harold Varmus, who's the head of the NCI. I'd read his um, uh, statement to the Senate Appropriations Committee back in May, and he recently had an interview in Science. And uh, when he was, I was worked for him when I was at Sloan Kettering, and he was a, uh, a a great friend of, of childhood cancer research. But in neither of those statements did he really. Um, Discuss much about funding of childhood cancer research, and he spoke to the successes in the other cancers. But he did speak to the need for training the next generation of uh, of researchers. And and in the current funding client climate, it is going to be difficult to do. It's going to be difficult to encourage uh, that 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 fellow or that postdoc to to commit to a career that is uh, determined by. Uh, research funding, um, no matter how bright they are, no matter how promising their ideas are, no matter how good they are in the lab, uh, we're we're going to lose a, a generation of, of, of researchers if we don't if we don't do something about it. You know, the what has been mentioned here is is pharmacists uh, and, and then also testimony to Congress, and it, and it struck me that that one of the uh, the things that I think we're not doing well and that somehow we have to get done is, as everybody has said, uh, the children need a voice. They need someone to speak for them. Why is the President's Childhood can uh, the President's Cancer Advisory Committee not have a childhood cancer expert on it? Why is there no voice for pediatric oncology there? It's a good question. And as far as the NFL, you know, I think perhaps some of us should start approaching them more. Um, I think that the football community is uh, is approachable. I I don't know if anybody watches Oklahoma football, but if you you do, you'll see that uh, on that visor that it's a different visor every year. But he moves the ribbon every year. Is that gold ribbon that uh, a neuroblastoma patient gave to Coach Stubbs, and he's been wearing it for years. I brought that to our coach when uh, they played us uh, here at home a couple of years ago, and he put gold ribbons on everybody on the staff. He said, we're not going to just let students do that. We'll do the whole staff. <laughs> so they, uh, you know, it got some awareness. They gave us some time and halftime. It was not a national thing. They did beat Oklahoma, by the way. Uh, but I, I think that uh, 
there is some possibilities there to get uh, some of the sports figures more involved with this. But I think the most important thing we could do is to get our government to give us a real voice. Yeah. And and uh, how can we bring that about? I don't know. But somehow the the uh, the president's cancer advisory panel should include pediatric oncology. I think one thing is that uh, you know you talk about we've we've mentioned a couple times now here this gold ribbon. I'm not sure how many of our listeners would be aware that uh, there is an association of the gold ribbon with pediatric cancer. I think you know there's a general awareness in the American population of what pink refers to. I think I don't think you'd find if you question ten people on the street, uh, I'm sure the majority would know what a pink ribbon stands for. But I'm not sure how many of those ten, if any, would know what the gold ribbon stood for. So um, uh, you know we need a little bit better awareness. Fairness, advertising, you name it. I think one thing we can do is call on all survivors of childhood cancer to uh, try to be active, to become, to do something about this, to help, you know, maybe perhaps to give back to the decades of research that helped lead to their survival and and be, become an activist in, uh, in this in some way. Uh, the football analogy was intriguing to me because this year my laboratory manager, Mark Courier, organized for, he's a youth football coach, so he organized a subsidiary basically of a local foundation called Cancer Free Kids and they called it Tackle Childhood Cancer and had a, a number of events at local youth football teams and, and hope to grow that over the years but um, again I think it's not gonna ever these smaller efforts although that could something like that could go national these efforts are not gonna raise money like the federal government could could dedicate to to this cause right and uh, uh, Pat put in one of his slides uh, a proposal for w doubling the COG budget, and you know the COG is 46 million. So to double that, you need another 46. That would only require decreasing the Department of Defense budget by 0.009%, or decreasing foreign aid by 0.21%, decreasing the TSA budget by 0.57%, or decreasing the NCI budget for other things by 0.9% decreasing St. Jude's budget by point, by 6.7% to dedicate to the COG, decreasing American Cancer Society by 5.1%. It wouldn't take a lot for any of these bigger organizations to make a big impact. You know, a few years ago when uh, the new administration was coming in and Congress was going back and forth uh, with them, one of the proposals was they wanted to spend $200 million to sod the, the National Mall. And on our website, I said, Give us the $200 million. I love green grass as much as the next guy, but give us the $200 million for childhood cancer research, and I'll take my Scott Spreader down there, and I'll, I'll, I'll see the whole, whole thing myself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't tell you how many people wanted to join me. I guess that does speak to the fact that everyone wants money. Everybody needs money for their own causes. And, I mean, this has been a theme of our podcast today, that there's lots pulls in lots of directions, but I guess the whole point is is maybe getting some better equity across the board. I think that, that the real focus should be on trying to get the Conquer Childhood Cancer Act funded since it's been passed because that really doesn't go to Dr. Varmus and say, please take this money away right. from something else. It's new money. That sounds like something that ought to be doable. Maybe we could make that as our call for action to our listeners. Uh, that's a very concrete no-brainer in my mind. I think, Joe, it also... Uh, was thinking about setting up a Facebook site for childhood cancer survivors to have start a conversation about things that could be done for research funding. Maybe if if anything could come out of this podcast, it's to energize some of our listeners to to do something more. And I would encourage listeners to uh, put in a comment on the iTunes site for this podcast, or send us emails of suggestions that we can discuss on future episodes. 
but we just need need a call to action. Any other great ideas before we close out here? We're kind of running out of time. Tim, I just wanted to say one thing. We've talked a lot about government funding and what you get. You know, we in the childhood cancer community of nonprofit organizations, I think we have to do a better job to generate funding for you all, for the oncology researchers. Uh, we are a very fractured community, and we're trying to work on that right now to, to bring kind of an umbrella over us to make it somewhat of a trade organization so we can really speak with one voice and, uh, you know, be, be a stronger force and really do a better job, and I say, I use this word intentionally, marketing the battle against childhood cancer so that we can do a better job to help generate funding for you, uh, for you all, while we also work to get greater government funding. Joe, I think that's incredibly important because uh, and my favorite motto uh, for this purpose is one for all and all for one, or all for one, one for all, whichever way you want to say it, but the three musketeers motto. If everybody comes together and works on a common unified pro problem, i.e. childhood cancer, regardless of what the disease is, you realize that childhood cancer then becomes the sixth most common cancer in the United States of America. So you take all childhood cancers together, and then you get around this, well, you guys are only a rare, rare diseases. Well, yeah, uh, split apart we are. Together, it's not so rare. It's a great point. Yeah. Maybe we should end on that. I appreciate everyone being on. Joe, uh, we are in your debt. We are thankful and honored that you could join us, and we appreciate the fact that you're trying to take something that is awful that, that happened to you and turn it into something positive. Thank you for thank being here. Thank you very much. And Pat, thank you for being here. Appreciate your leadership in this area, and, and hopefully we can have more conversations and do some good. Well, Tim, thanks so much for uh, having this, and uh, we hope the listeners will uh, join us all in making this a little bit better than it is going to be if we don't work together. Hopefully it won't get worse. And Andy, thanks for being here and, and suggesting the, the topic and for bringing Joel along. My pleasure. Thank you, Tim. And Lionel, thanks for being here. I thought that was a really good discussion. As Again, to our listeners, um, we ask that you become activists or do what you can. Every little bit counts. As we get donations into our research lab, sometimes they're small donations, and uh, the people say, well, this isn't much. But you know what? Every bit counts. So if everybody can do a little bit, it can go a long way. Again, we're happy to read your emails in future podcasts and discuss your comments or questions or ideas about how we can improve the funding situation. This really is an urgent issue. We may have had a rela somewhat relaxed conversation, but hopefully uh, made your blood boil a bit uh, because it's a really important issue and things are uh, looking like they're getting worse, not better, as days go on. But please send us a note at TWIPO, that's T-W-I-P-O, at solvingkidscancer.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at TWIPO Podcast. And you can sign up for automatic notification when we post new episodes by registering using the RSS feed link on the Solving Kids Cancer website. As usual, I want to thank Donald Lewinsky, our executive producer, Pat Buckley, our creative consultant, Scott Kennedy and John London, who are the founding co-directors of Solving Kids Cancer. Uh, that's a nonprofit charity dedicated to improving survival through creating novel treatment options for children and sponsored this podcast. Remember, the more we learn, communicate, share ideas, and work together, the faster we'll reach the day when all childhood cancer is preventable or curable. As always, keep up the fight, and thanks for listening to This Week in Pediatric Oncology.